the handoff. Freeze the throw. Caught. Touchdown! And the New Orleans Saints with their first touchdown of the game take a 12-0 lead. Goff is under center. Third and goal of the New Orleans one. Fake handoff. He rolls and throws in the end zone. Touchdown! It'd be the tight end. The Rams refuse to go away. Third down and 10. Drops back. Arches a pass down the near side. Broken up at the five-yard line. The receiver standing there, and he went and hit him before the ball even got there. That should have been a flag, Kevin. Breaks her line from 48. Right footy kick is up. He got it and tied the game. What a finish, Kevin. What a finish. Breeze in the gun. Sets, he's in as he throws a wobbly pass. It's deflected. And an interception at the 45-yard line of L.A. Breaks her line. He's got a 57-yarder right here. If he hits it, the Rams win and they're going to the Super Bowl. Right footy kick is up. End over Rand arching up. And it is gone. The Rams win. The Rams are going to the Super Bowl. Brady under center, turns, hands off. Sony Michelle rumbling in from one yard out for a touchdown. And what an opening march for the New England Patriots. Mahomes gets the shotgun snap. Wing pass left side. Williams with blockers at the 20. Down the left sideline to the 10. And he's in for the touchdown. And for the first time tonight, the Kansas City Chiefs have the lead. Brady, fourth and short, gets the snap. Gives it to Michelle. Big hole, five, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Everybody pacing, standing, swaying. Kick right down the middle. Harrison Butker with the biggest kick of his career, and he sends it through the uprights to tie the game at 31 overtime in Kansas City. Brady under center turns, gets to Burkhead, hole on the left side, he's in! Burkhead is in for the touchdown! The dynasty continues for the New England Patriots! They're going to their third straight Super Bowl! Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter down the line and what a championship weekend it was. We now know the participants in Super Bowl 53 will be the Los Angeles Rams and their 32-year-old head coach Sean McVay against 41-year-old Tom Brady against Bill Belichick and the dynasty that is the New England Patriots. Ollie, how are you feeling now? We're probably about what? I think at this point, maybe about 16, 17 hours removed from coming off air with the AFC Championship game last night. Well, I haven't really slept properly. So that's one thing. I've just had for dinner a whole party bag of balsamic vinegar kettle chips and <laughs> and and a, and a tub living of, that healthy lifestyle and a tub of tzatziki. So that's one of my five a day. Uh, I'm drinking a flat iron tire as we speak. Um but as as far as the football goes, it was an incredible Sunday, and I would think I wasn't. I didn't really have a dog in the fight between the Rams and the Saints. I hadn't seen the Saints before, so I kind of was leaning towards the Saints. I love Alvin Kamara, but the Rams were fun, and seeing them win in Kansas against Kansas City earlier on in the year was pretty cool. So I didn't have a dog in that fight, but man, I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan in the second uh, in the second game. But when the game is over, it's not like when your your team loses in a playoff game. It's it, it, it you you just kind of accept it and go. Do you know what what a clinic by Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the supporting cast? 
Yeah, absolutely unbelievable performance. So we're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into uh, the performances in, in both games. The first time ever that both championship games have gone to overtime. I think only the second time ever the AFC championship had gone to overtime. And look, let's get it out of the way now. Nine Super Bowls in 17 years. Winning five of them thus far, maybe a sixth, which would be a record for the most number of Super Bowls won by a single player. He already has the quarterback record. He and Charles Haley are tied on five Super Bowls apiece for the most rings in total. We obviously appreciate and love what we see from the Patriots week in, week out. I just want to get that out of the way now, so I've said it, so that we don't get nonsense from people like I got last night. I hate the Patriots. I don't. I just love variety, I love good football, and I was rooting to get a replay of Chiefs-Rams after Rams won the early game. We'll also get into officiating decisions, how the NFL can fix their officiating problem and their review problem, and of course, I think we should maybe kick off with Ollie this Monday afternoon. Hopefully some fans who weren't so happy after Championship Weekend having their blues swept away as we had the eight teams announced, the four games announced for the London Series 2019. At the moment, we don't know venue and date for these games. We do know it'll be two at Wembley and two at Tottenham. We've got the All-NFC South Clash between the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've got the Chicago Bears at the Oakland Raiders, the Khalil Mack Revenge game, Cincinnati Bengals against the Los Angeles... The, sorry, sorry, this is a bit like London-born JGI, against the Super Bowl-bound Los Angeles Rams and the Houston Texans against the Jacksonville Jaguars in an AFC South Clash. That's the Panthers and the Texans coming to London for the first time. Just the Green Bay Packers left to tick off the big old London list. Ollie, when this news came out today, what was your uh, your initial reaction? I was disappointed no Packers. You're going to tell me something in a minute that uh, that will maybe disappoint me when it comes to seeing the Packers in the UK. Um, but looking at the matchups, we get to see the best defence or one of the most exciting defences to watch over 2018 over the 2018 season in the Chicago Bears, so I'm delighted at that. The first matchup CMC. We get to see CMC and F.A. Obada. F.A. Obada is going to rule the roost when it comes to promoting this, probably in the off-season and in the uh, the, week, the week building up to the game. But we get Bruce Arians as well. Love that. Get the Los Angeles Rams. Could be coming back, back as Super Bowl winners. And we've got a divisional game between the Texans and the Jags. Texans with that vaunted defense. J.J. Watt. Maybe J- Jadavian Clowney comes back as well. Whitney Merciless. So, Deshaun Watson, I think every single one of the games has got an intrigue to them, which sometimes in past years, perhaps you couldn't say that. Yeah, I did see some people suggesting it was underwhelming. I'm not saying it was the huge numbers that we quite often see being a bit negative about these games. But you're right, we might have Super Bowl champions in back-to-back years coming and playing in London. And actually, the Bengals are a team that have still got a huge amount of talent. And I'm excited to see who they end up appointing at head coach and how that decision goes and, and what could be a, a revitalised team coming in. If there's a, a candidate for a, a bad team to really improve quickly in an off-season, I think the Bengals could be right up there. Same with the Raiders. Khalil Mack is obviously the headline and that great defence to watch is a big headline, but they've got three first-round picks. 
this is a team that, I mean, Matt Sherry is still absolutely unwavering in his belief that we are going to be getting uh, John Gruden revitalised Raiders, that they are suddenly going to turn it around after there was absolutely zero genuine evidence of that. Sherry's a clown. <laughs> uh, Panthers-Bucks, I mean, you mentioned CMC. We'll have to wait and see what happens with Cam Newton. But I'm really excited to see Bruce Arians and his big old aerial deep threat offence with Jameis Winston getting to see it in person. And then Texans-Jags. I mean, the Jags, if they solve their quarterback problem, I don't mean solve it, but at least try and solve it. You know, Foles is looking like a, a likely candidate, as we discussed on last week's show. But suddenly you get a Jags team that's still absolutely loaded and still in a Super Bowl win with a decent offense you have a Texans team who are very much in a Super Bowl window with the talent they've got on defense and that Deshaun Watson DeAndre Hopkins hookup that we're going to be getting to see I think these are four great games there's nothing that screams at you because you go oh it's a Super Bowl replay oh it's a this and and we've had the novelty of divisional games of, of not not worn off because it always amazes me that any team would give up a divisional home game but we have seen that kind of subside a little bit that that knock against uh, that were the reason to be excited for these games. But I think that when you get down to it, there's a good reason to be excited about every single one of those four games. And and I think they've done a great job. I think let's talk about the Packers. Um, I think the fact that they're not coming, having looking, having looked at the lineup, it doesn't actually surprise me that much because the Mexico game, they, They've got the Chiefs going to the Chargers, Chiefs at Chargers. Now, when we went to watch the Chargers, there was an awful lot of Hispanic, Latino uh, fans. And they're a team that hasn't played in Mexico yet. I'm not sure that they would give up. um, I'm not sure that the NFL would want the Packers to go in there as their first kind of overseas game. And also, the NFL had to bail on the Chiefs going to Mexico. So it's almost like the NFL owed the the Mexican fans, the Chiefs, come hell or high water. The Rams weren't, weren't going to go there again because of the debacle of last year and the Raiders have been there before. So I kind of think that all sort of makes sense. And therefore, it's very difficult to get the three new teams out of uh, four particular games to come over to London. Well, by the end of next season, they'll have had 31 teams in across the 28 regular season games they'll have played there, which is a pretty damn good rate of return. I am beginning to believe that the Green Bay Packers will never come and play on these shores with Aaron Rodgers under centre. Whoa, Willie, why are you being like this? Because I'll start off by kind of... Our best chance of that happening is Aaron Rodgers playing past 2022-2023. The first season that we have a London franchise, because that's when they're looking to put it in, let's be honest. If that same season that we first get a London franchise, they happen to have a home game against the Packers, then hooey, it's going to work out. But whilst you've got this situation of having teams giving up a game either willfully because they've had a Super Bowl application uh, go through like you have with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whether it's because of the transient nature of their stadium like with the Raiders and Rams or whether it's because they've got this agreement like the Jaguars, they still get a say in which home game that they give up. And we saw it with the Jags when they had an opportunity the year before this and when they had the 
they had the Packers at home. They could have brought the Packers over here. It was a game that everyone was desperate to see. But first and foremost, you already know that there's a huge Green Bay support in this country. There is. It's very apparent. They're one of the most, if not the most, vocal UK fan groups. One of they the are... most, if not the most. <laughs> I did. Li- I thought you'd like the Danny Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> They they are so you're giving up a home game in more sense than one because you know that you're going to be going on a neutral field against the most gifted quarterback to play the game and against a team who will lap up the opportunity to essentially get a ninth home game. And then there's the money in it. Jacksonville didn't do it because it was their it was going to be a huge gate receipt. And when you look at the last six years for the Jacksonville Jaguars, their top performing games are all London games from a monetary perspective are all London games except for Green Bay at home. Green Bay at home was the outlier that showed just how much money can be made from gate receipts. Now, people came back on this on Twitter and someone was saying, well, yeah, but you earn more money from coming to Wembley and selling out 85,000 at those big expensive prices than you do selling 60,000 in Jacksonville. Why wouldn't you want two paydays? Why wouldn't you want to have the Packers game as one big gate and then play the Bengals out here and have that as the other big gate? Play the, you know, out-of-conference bills, something like that. A game that, no offence to either of those teams, but isn't a huge draw for the casual home fan. They're not turning up to come and watch Josh Allen sling a ball around. And so that's the game you take because you know you make big money off Wembley and you make big money off the Packers. I think it had to be a situation like the Los Angeles Chargers that presented the rare opportunity for a team to offer up a Packers game. And when it didn't happen, I don't, I, when it didn't happen today, I honestly don't think it'll happen until they have to come here because we have our own team and it happens to be the season that they're playing them. And... What year is is that? Is that 2022, you're thinking? Yeah, so 2022. Someone said we have to wait for Jacksonville to have another Packers game. What you forget is the AFC teams only play the NFC divisions once every four seasons, and that is rotated between a home game and an away game. So the Jags don't have the Packers on their home slate again until... It's 2020. 2024? No, it's 2020. Oh, home slate is 2024. They play next... The, in 2020, but that game is at Lambeau. Now, in that 2020 schedule, there is an away trip to the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints have the Super Bowl at the at the uh, the Mercedes- no. at the Superdome. No. Turn it down now. 2024. It's not happening. It could happen. It's not happening. Well, why couldn't that happen? Just the because big, aren't just because free Willie says Packers that. The Packers game. The Saints aren't going to give might. up the Packers game. They might. The NFL might impose it. It's not happening. Sorry, buddy. Look, just because you say it's not happening and you, do you know why? You do you know why it won't, your feet do you, and you Do you know why it won't happen now? And don't talk about my feet. You know why it won't happen now? <laughs> it won't happen now because the NFL now owes the Saints one. They've held their hands up. They've admitted to the non-call. They now are in... The Saints, particularly a team... If you're a transient team like the others that we mentioned, but if you're a team that are playing their one home game over here because of giving because of getting a Super Bowl in town, then, I mean, more so than any other, you have that power to go, we're not giving you the Packers. No chance. Mm. Do you not believe? I'm sorry, buddy, but we'll go and see them in Lambeau. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah, we would 100% will do that. But you never know. You never know. Yeah, I, I know, and it's not going to happen. You don't uh, know. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, 
You don't be one of don't be one of those people that says that your opinion is fact. And my, that, my, I don't like those people, Willie. Yeah, no, I know my opinion isn't fact, but okay, on this so occasion, I am absolutely convinced of it that the Packers won't be coming here in at least the next three until at least the next CBA. Okay, then f- that's fine. Which is only let's two years away, very... so that's not that bold a claim, but there we go. Let's, uh... let's quickly talk about the stadiums. If the Jacksonville Jaguars will be playing in Wembley, what's the best game to open or to play at the Spurs' new stadium? The best game to play at Spurs' new stadium would be the game involving the Rams. Yeah, 100% I agree. Rams, although, if they win, although, the, although... win the Super Bowl. Bears-Raiders... Two of the top five, top six most popular franchises here in the UK. Definitely both in the top ten. I would say that there's an argument for that because of the fan bases. And then you've got at least a Marky Khalil Matt thing. You've got the John Gruden thing. And there might actually that or the Rams game. But do you not think, given that it's 20,000 less tickets and the Bears and the Raiders are the most two of the most supported teams, they'll want to try and get the most amount of fans of those teams being able to see the game as they can, and therefore that would be at Wembley. Did that affect their decision to put Raiders Seahawks at Wembley? No, it didn't. um, Tottenham? No, it didn't, no. I don't think it would again. Sorry, buddy. No, 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 it's fair enough. There's no apologies. I'm I'm just having a conversation, man. Well, it was a delightful conversation. I enjoyed (laughs) it. Thank you very much. Well done. Uh, let's, uh, Let's talk championship games because uh i'm sorry i'm spacing out a little bit i think the uh the kokoda mole is kicking in on my feet sorry I, what's should, what's wrong with your feet will we should uh we should talk about it now or should we save it until the patriots chiefs game and explain it in the moment let's save it okay cool so let's start off with uh rams at saints then the game that will be forever remembered for inflicting on the saints maybe the back-to-back cruelest playoff victory uh, defeats the browns i saw a few people say had an argument with that with the f- the drive then the fumble uh, in back-to-back years against the broncos but for the saints to have that play last year the minneapolis miracle happened to them and then to last night have the worst non-pi call i think any of us have ever seen as a as a reason to lose a game when it's in the very very closing stages they are pretty devastated come this morning and there is a lot of attention being directed to that very moment of this game and that's a bad thing because oh i i you set me up without even giving your opinion ollie because it was a huge moment and it was a huge bad play and it was maybe the worst blown call i've ever seen and maybe it'll go down to be incredibly famous i think it will be famous i think it'll be famous for the reason that a real frustration I have with the NFL, and I'm glad we get, let's get the officiating out of the way now and then get into the actual football stuff. A real frustration I have with the NFL is it has to take a big moment for a clearly incorrect rule to suddenly get changed. If the same thing that happened with that PI game happened in a week six regular season game between two uh, AFC West, between the Raiders and the Chargers, it would be talked about, but it wouldn't be a reason to discuss changing the rules. Why does it have to wait for a terrible no call in something like the NFC Championship game 
for them to suddenly say, oh, yeah, let's make more plays reviewable. Let's change how we do the playing reviews. Let's get rid of that Microsoft tablet stuff that, you know, we can have the sponsor flash up on the screen. We don't necessarily have to have the referee do the whole rigmarole of going to the sideline, bringing it out to them, all the faff that comes with that to reduce the time. The replay system needs fixing desperately. And the big thing, and we'll talk about the Chris Jones, uh, in air quotes, roughing the passer on Tom Brady later as well, but just make those big plays reviewable. I don't understand why they're not at the moment. The whole thing is about fixing something that um, was got wrong in the first place and that that was wrong it was a, it was it was pi it was helmet to helmet sean payton spoke to the referee's office um in new york who, who admitted to him that it was both of those things and you could say that that puts them in a better position percentage wise of, of winning the game they had chances after that anyway but it it was such a huge moment such a huge decision to get wrong and it highlights again that the the referees seem to want to play a part in the game that we love rather than just let the guys play and here's the my right so i think all plays should be reviewed i've made that pretty clear also both teams get the ball in overtime we'll get to that as well um i just I don't understand why, even if you're not going to make it reviewable by a red flag, that even there can't be an eighth official in stadium or you just use the guys back in New York and they come on the headphones and go, guys, I know that there's no way of the coaches challenging that, but you absolutely should have made a call there. Because we all saw on TV within 20 seconds that there mm-hmm. was a call that should have been made. We probably all saw it in real time as well. It was farcical. It was really farcical. Have you seen the but, the fan video from behind, probably the end zone, just on kind of in line with where the pass was thrown? And there's a fan video. It's kind of close. You, it, you can see everything perfectly. Every single one of the fans was up in arms. And I know that they're Saints fans, and I know that you, you see things with rose-tinted spectacles. But as soon as the hit came in, they're all screaming P.I., all of them. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's in the moment. That's right there and then. You, it was it was such a blatant call. So I, the, the problem that I have, however, the but that was coming at the end of that was that, let's use a football analogy. You're 2-1 up. You miss three, four, maybe not open goals, but one-on-ones, guilt-edge chances. Sure. And then you get a bad penalty decision go against you. Who's to blame? Is it the referees for making that one bad decision? Or is it you for missing multiple opportunities to win a game of football, which for at least the first half you were pretty dominant of? And we'll talk about the football side of it in a moment. But do the do Saints fans need to maybe wind it in a little bit and realise that you had the ball four times in the fourth quarter and overtime with Drew Brees, a Hall of Fame quarterback, with Alvin Kamara, with Michael Thomas, with everything that that line has done for you this year, and you score three points and Brees turns the ball over in overtime? Yeah, but isn't there a case, and I'm just playing devil's advocate to you here now, isn't there a case to be said that one, had the call been correct, they would have closed out the game, and they, you wouldn't have. We yeah, wouldn't be. The, to- we wouldn't that be. To- argument, of course, that argument exists. But my point is, is that focusing on that, it's not. 
you didn't have a 20-point lead wiped off by that decision because no. you didn't have a 20-point lead to hold up. So to suggest that that one decision screwed you out of a place in the Super well, Bowl... Well, potentially, after that decision, such a, a, an obvious decision goes against you. And you've got to look at... Um, you've got to look at the the leadership structure, the management structure here as well. The Saints never regained any sort of composure to then be able to, within themselves, come out and and make the decisive plays to win the game. So the bad call affected them from a physical standpoint of the fact that they didn't get the ball forward. They ended up having to take the field goal, but also affected their psyche moving forward throughout the game. There wasn't a lot of game left then, but I understand what I you're mean, saying. I mean, yeah, but you've I just said that there's, they had four opportunities. They, so there is a lot of... One, there was... They only had one more after that. Okay. My point is, that was the third of three of those four opportunities. And we're going to talk about one, only one team getting the ball, but only one team could have had the ball in this game and the Saints didn't do what they needed to do. So, look, that's uh, that's my feelings on it aside. We had to address the controversies early on. I think that the the way that its approach needs to change, and I think it's a real shame it takes this, but because of the fact that there was the controversy, the competition committee will visit this this summer and we'll have some kind of change coming in for next season. Yeah. Right. Got it off our chest. Should we talk about the actual football now? What a great football game this was. <laughs> Right, let's take, we'll take a quick break and then we're going to talk about the NFC and AFC Championship games and maybe just give a little opinion on what we think is going to be coming up in Super Bowl 53. We're going to be there, five podcasts across the week, plus live on TalkSport. Yeah! Hi everyone, it's Dev off the radio here. We're doing a brand new podcast from LucasAid Sport called Running the Show. And I'm Sam Thompson from Made in Chelsea. Hey. I'll be joining annoying slash being overly affectionate with Dev for the next 12 weeks as we both take up running for the first time. Make sure you join us on all your podcast providers to find out which one of us is killing the training and which one of us is hating every second. Probably me. Fill the trolley with your favourite brands on rollback at Asda. A 38-pack of Fairy Non-Bio Capsules was £8.50, now £5.75. And Lenore Gold Fabric Conditioner was £4, now £2.50. Big brands, small prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Lenore, 1.925 litres. Ends 18th of March. You're listening to The Gridiron Show, Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter. We've spent far too much of this show dealing with, well, the joyous news of the uh, of the games that are going to be coming over to be played in London this year, but also uh, the blown refereeing calls and what needs to happen about officiating. So let's focus on the football now. And Ollie, you said it yourself, the Los Angeles Rams 26, the New Orleans Saints 23. What a game this was. Yeah, it was a weird one because for the first... I would say quarter and two thirds. The Saints looked utterly dominant. It almost looked like it could be over. And then the Rams, who hadn't had anything either through the air or on the ground, and they were looking okay on defense, but not great. Um, It took a Johnny Hecker completion to Sam Shields, former return man for the Green Bay Packers, recovered from a year off of uh, of, of concussion. He's had a, a pretty solid year this year on special teams and backing up when Aqib Talib went out uh, in mid, mid-season. But he makes a little juke, a little move, picks up the first down. It's a 12-yard gain. Hecker gets another completion. And from there on in, it seems like they'd shaken some sort of 
rust or cobwebs off or or some such and Jared Goff started moving the ball better the play calling got better things started to go better on defense and they worked themselves slowly but surely back into the game the um the fact that that was such a big turning point and it really did genuinely feel like a turning point it did feel like it was the kick that the Rams needed I thought playing in that atmosphere and the volume and what we heard from the, the fans in New Orleans was clearly difficult, combined with the fact that they had headset issues early on. And it felt like once they settled into it and they started to find that kind of pocket of time that they were able to hear when the crowd did kind of quieten down and you often saw Goff like really hand to the ear, trying to listen in and discussing the play calls and then getting up to the line of scrimmage. They did a really good job of turning that around. There's two people who I don't think this morning are getting enough love from a Rams perspective and who really deserve to be getting more love from a Rams perspective. And I'm going to start off with Greg the Legs Erline. Kickers this weekend, if you don't understand the importance of kicking in the NFL, the teams that are in the championship games, they went 21 of 21 of point scoring kicks in these two games. 21 of 21, not a missed extra point, not a missed field goal between them. And that's with... Multiple field goals over 50 yards. That's with field goals to tie games up to send them to overtime. That's with field goals to win the game in overtime. The highest pressures of kicks. And of all of those high-pressure kicks, Greg Zerline tying the game up from 47 yards in that crowd and that atmosphere. And then hitting one from 57 yards. The longest game winner in field goal playoff NFL history. (laughs) Don't know what order those words were, but it was something then Greg the Legs Erline should be hailed as a national hero or at least a local hero or at least a Californian hero. And he was unbelievable and as clutch as could be. And do you know what was particularly amazing? Mm-hmm. Not only was the actual 57-yarder good from about 70-odd yards out, but he got iced. And, oh, by the way, he nailed the other 57-yarder as well straight down the middle and with great length on it still. It was ice cold and I loved it do you remember his I think it was his game tying field goal as well um, which was a real wobbler uh, oh, maybe that was in the other game either way no, no, no it was it was the Roberto was Carlos yeah it was the Roberto Carlos yeah that it was, was the it the one who went all the way outside the post and all the way back inside again coming off the right hash and we were all like he's missed it he's not it's inside ah we lost it. We absolutely lost it. Yeah, classic us. Um, so the the fact that he was so cool under pressure, you've got to you've got to tip your hat to Johnny Hecker for the hold and for the snap as well. It's just all of it. It's simpatico. It all worked beautifully when everything else sort of was crumbling around them. When it comes to what was going on in, with the Saints on on with on offense and what was happening in the stadium, that how crazy it was. The atmosphere was insane. And we, um, you could hear a bit of it on the TV, but we actually managed to hear some of the highlights on um, the radio comms. And it just, it, it was off the scale. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the atmosphere at Arrowhead in a sec as well. And just both of the, the playoff games were ridiculously loud. And, to be playing in that kind of environment and the Rams to, to go down 13 nothing and then come back, just a testament to to the team, I, I think. But you've got to look at the Saints. In that first half, they, um, they, they had two long... They had one long field goal drive and then they, they got the ball back 
off a Jared Goff interception in good field position and only came away with six points. Man, they must be ruining that. Yeah, and there were, I mean, there were a lot of opportunities. I think both games, you had a team dominated in the first half, or at least in the early stages of the first half, but weren't able to fully convert all their opportunities. With the Patriots, you had the interception in the end zone where they could have been up 14 nothing with the... Yeah, the the Chiefs at that point on minus two yards. And in this game, you had the, the New Orleans Saints only coming away with six points from those two drives. Then putting together the one really good long drive that they had to make it 13 nothing, uh, with the, the five-yard strike to, to Garrett Gr- Griffin. Yes, that, man. First ever catch in the NFL, and it comes in the NFC Championship game. Oh, and by the way, it's a touchdown. Um, the, the Rams come out and have an unbelievable drive of their own off the back of that. And Jared Goff is, he wasn't the second person I was going to name, but Jared Goff deserves a huge amount of praise for the way he performed after a really rough start to the game, because I thought he had an excellent game overall from kind of partway into the second quarter, all the way through overtime. I think he put together some fantastic drives. He managed to find Josh Reynolds so regularly when he's, been a guy who's been so up and down since Cooper Cup went out. He managed to do it without Todd Gurley, who basically wasn't in any way productive at all and had two horrendous drops for him in the rare snaps that he was playing in this game. He managed to do it without the run game doing any kind of big business like they'd done the previous week. And he managed to put that team on his shoulders and go and win it. At 24 years old with his 32-year-old head coach, and you're going to hear a lot about their ages over the next two weeks... Uh, I thought it was incredibly, incredibly impressive as much as the Rams, as much as the Saints had defensive problems. I thought Demario Davis was unbelievable mm. as we were talking about him potentially being. He was everywhere, in, wasn't he? In coverage. and But equally, those linebackers did exactly what we said they'd do, got super aggressive and, and let the play action come at them. And I love the, how aggressive the Saints are as a general rule. Every now and again, you've got to be smart as well as aggressive. Look, from talking of aggressive, and uh, I'll get to that in just a sec. I want to uh, take note of a, a couple of amazing throws from Jared Goff to Brandon Cooks on the outside and then uh, leading Josh Reynolds and a couple of others, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. He made some superb throws, especially to the outside. And that's that. that needs, that it requires an awful lot of touch a lot, and an awful lot of skill. So, yeah, you were totally right to to highlight Jared Goff, but the aggression. Now, there were some things that the Rams' defense did that I wasn't particularly fond of. Corey Littleton, um, a helmet-to-helmet hit hit that knocked out Josh Hill, the the Saints' tight end. Okay, Garrett Griffin comes in and and scores a touchdown. Maybe Josh Hill does. Um, I, I counted another two from Corey Littleton and one from Aaron Donald as well, all of which weren't picked up by the referees. So we banged on about the referees a bit earlier, but they missed a load of, a load of helmet to helmet um, hits on the Saints and that final big one at the end as well. I, I'm not sure what game they were refereeing at times. That's fair, but my other big person I wanted to give plenty of love to was Son of Bum. Wade Phillips came out and put together. Yeah. A supreme. I watched the highlights back this morning, and it's such a supreme defensive game plan. Michael Thomas only three catches on the day for I think twenty-two yards, something like that. Uh, I did ridiculously four for thirty-six. 
Four for 36. There you go. It's 36. A bit in disrespectful. Sorry. Uh, but four for 36 on the day for a guy who had 222 yards against them earlier this season. Uh, and with Alvin Kamara, he had a great stat line in terms of catches, like 11 for 90-odd in the end. 96. Uh, well done. There we go. 11 for 96 in the end. But actually, what they did and what they will be risky if they do again against the Patriots because of what we've seen from them the last two weeks, their ability to move the ball on little five-yard passes, etc., is that they let the Saints play in front of them. You didn't see the aggression. You didn't see uh, Tlaib crossing the field with Michael Thomas like we thought he might. They stayed to their, their assignments. They stayed to their sides of the field. And... They played the ultimate bend, don't break, which you saw it with the way that they kept those first two drives. Because as much as we're saying the Saints should have come away with at least 10, if not 14 points from those first two drives and only came away with six, defensively, there were some really good stands. And they were the ultimate example of bend, don't break, because they did let they did say, OK, we'll let you have the the four-yard, five-yard passes to, to someone like uh, Kamara on the outside. And yes, he'll look great doing it. But you've been an offence who's been predicated on having the ability to stretch the field when you need to, to know that Michael Thomas can come up with a 30, 40, 50, 60 yard, uh, you know, absolute field reversing play at some point. And other than the Ted Ginn, which should have been defended by LaMarcus Joyner anyway, because it was underthrown. Other than that one play, I don't remember them having any plays over 10, 15 yards in the game. There are a few, but yeah, you're right. It was a, a classic Ben don't break, and it'll be a really exciting matchup when they take on the, the the Patriots. Josh McDaniels versus Son of Bum, because both of them kind of scheme to the next game. They look at the next game and how the next game is going to go, and that that opponent and what's going to be best for winning, and. Yeah, Son of Bum had a, a, a superb game in, in doing and and restricting the Saints into giving them some, but not giving them everything. Give me some, but not everything. I am looking at it now. Mark Ingram had a 16-yard rush. Uh, we had a 21-yarder from Alvin Kamara, a 24-yarder from Josh Hill. So the 43-yard deep shot to Ted Ginn was the only play that went over 25 yards and there were only two others that went over 20. So, yeah, I mean, that's how it felt at the time and certainly it plays out a bit that way in the numbers. I'm going to justify it. I'm going to claim that that's how it looked to me. What next for the... Because outside of that, Dante Fowler continued to produce great. The defensive line looked good again. Donald just forcing the pocket back. They had those back-to-back sacks in the first half, which I think really helped the momentum shift almost as much as the Hecker play. There's there's lots to pick apart from this Rams team, but we can keep doing that over and over over the next two weeks, next five shows, all our stuff we're doing on Radio Row. Uh, we leave in f- like six days' time, Ollie. There's it's ridiculous, to, isn't there, it? There, there's a lot to talk about in the meantime. Um, but the Saints going forward, 40-year-old quarterback, head coach who's already had his head turned a couple of times but never ended up leaving. I wonder how long they can keep this unit together and whether they can still be competitive at this very top level next season well the, there's some good pieces on defense um you, you've still got alvin kamara there and I, th- I think maybe he's coming up to a contract year but you expect them to, to keep him drew Brees has said that he's coming back in 2019 we're in 2019 but you know what i mean um i i can envisage 
them being competitive again. The problem is with um, the Atlanta Falcons, they can't possibly be as bad as they were last uh, this year, this season. The Panthers, you'd expect to improve. Well, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't because maybe no Cam Newton, but that might work in their favour. But the, the wild card is Bruce Arians' is Tampa Bay. And there's bound to be an uptick in an upturn in their fortunes. So I'm not sure that they will have the dominance that they had of this season, but given the, 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 the amount of talent on both sides of the roster, you've got to think that they'll be, um, they'll be challenging at least for the wildcard playoff spots, at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be clear, I think they will still be in the mix next season. It's just worth asking the question. Thomas and Kamara are unbelievable talents. Breeze, if they can protect him a little better, and I don't mean protect him as in because the offensive line actually had a really good season this season. I mean as in not have him throwing the ball 50 times a game more than once or twice a season. If you can have situations on a more regular basis where you're playing down and distance and giving him more time off the field and everything else that that you need to kind of keep an older quarterback in the money as it were but they are that they did go out and get they they drafted up to get Marcus Davenport they gave up a third rounder for Teddy Bridgewater they went out and shipped their fourth rounder for Eli Apple who contributed again last night reasonably well so they've got the the options there on defense they are you you do wonder what's going to happen at running back with uh, Mark Ingram if he's not there. Do you need a Thunder back to go with Alvin Kamara in there? I'd but we've say... seen that that you can get value in the draft at but oh, yeah, three, yeah. four, five. So I, I should imagine that they let him go and then bring in a, a, a running back or two and see who works best. They literally have a two, a five, and then two in the six and two in the seven. So uh, it's not it's not a great situation. If Ben Watson decides to genuinely not come back, which he was absolutely determined that he wasn't coming back, but then missing his final game with appendicitis, he might decide to come back. I still think that they could do with another really talented linebacker. So there are there are holes for them, but I do think I'm with you. I think they will still be very much involved next year. Did you know that the commissioner can reverse what happened in the game this weekend? Oh my god, I saw this article. I think I think it was on Bleacher Report or somewhere, and they mentioned it and um, almost suggested that it should happen. Just ridiculous, ridiculous. I know he can do it, but come on. There's a <laughs> there was a question of would Nickel Robbie Coleman admitting that he was trying to tackle Tommy Lee Lewis because he was beat for the touchdown qualify under extraordinarily unfair? No, of course he wouldn't. Ridiculous. But I just saw it and thought it was very funny, so I thought I'd raise it. Uh, the much classier approach. I'm not saying that the Saints weren't classy, and actually Marcus Peters needs a slap on the wrist at minimum for going over and getting in Sean Payton's face and then walking around shouting about gumbo. I mean, come on chill out you just be the bigger person and go i've just got to the super bowl why like not getting other people's faces there was no need for that but from the saints perspective they've reacted to this really well i really like the statement that gail benson put out even though it very clearly called out the nfl etc was all about looking to the future was all about building for the future so you know i i think the saints and the city of new orleans will come back strong again but back-to-back seasons where you've gone out of the playoffs like that. It's just... Look, I'm... um, I'm I'm currently on on Twitter. Yeah. And um, the (laughs) Panthers... The Panthers, I haven't seen a team 
kind of go all in on coming to the to London as I have with the Panthers. They've changed their avatar, they've changed their back picture, their pin tweet is London bound. They've got videos. They've been replying to a load of people who've replied to the NFL UK UK tweet. They've been chucking out memes. Um, it, it it they've really gone for this. The Panthers, well done. Yeah, loving it. Uh, F.A. Abada, by the way, <laughs> uh, you just reminded me that when we were at a meeting about our, out, uh, about our Super Bowl plans the other day, that F.A. Abada was raised as if he was going to be coming over sometime soon and we'd be able to get him. I, I think that might have been a tip of the hat to that the Panthers were coming, but we, we didn't pick up on it. So You're a disgrace. Journal- bad journalism knowledge from us. He's done a piece to camera. Uh, should we just have a quick listen in? I'm excited. The Panthers are coming to the UK. Since I started playing football, it's always been a dream for me to play in front of my hometown, and now it's possible. These international games also allow the fans to experience the buzz and the thrill of the NFL right here in the UK, and I will be a part of that. So keep pounding, dream big, and I can't wait for next season. Go on, FA. That's great, isn't it? There's, they've, I've never seen uh, an NFL team fully go all in on... Uh, coming to London. Well done, lads. Love it. Really love it. Right. I'm glad that you used that as a nice segue into our AFC Championship roundup where the New England Patriots yet again do it. This might have been the weakest regular season Patriots team that any of us can remember of recent times. But despite the fact that they conceded 24 fourth quarter points to let the Chiefs back into this game, there still was a horrible overhanging sense of inevitability or a wonderful sense of inevitability if you're a Patriots fan that they were always going to pull something out in this situation. Sonny Michel and Rex Burkhead with a pair of touchdowns apiece as the Patriots run out 37-31 winners over the Kansas City Chiefs. And the as much as the Chiefs got into it late, as much as there were the big plays, the, the Patriots had double the number of first downs that the Chiefs had. They had over, they had double the number of total plays the Chiefs had. They had closing in on double the number of yardage. They were the dominant, dominant side, and they did it in really impressive, methodical style. And this was, for my money, a game where Tom Brady actually, for the first three quarters, was fine, but not for not his phenomenal top-end self. He did what he needed to do and he found some good third downs, but it was a lot of the run game and he didn't, he didn't have to play a brilliant game. But when he did, when the Chiefs came back, when he had to put together those two drives, the one in regulation and the one in overtime to win it, he was just clinical. It was a joy to watch in a way. They were very much... They were the, they were the deserving team. They, they did absolutely deserved to win this game of football. They did. And... I, I described it as surgical, the way that he um, went back to his trusted lieutenants or lieutenants. I think we say lieutenants, Americans say lieutenants. They went back to his lieutenants of, of Edelman, Gronkowski. There was James White at the beginning of the game when they, they um, needed him to come in on, on crucial third downs. But that final drive in overtime and maybe the the drive that led to the Rex Burke had touchdown to take the lead before the Chiefs then got the Bucker field goal um, with about eight seconds to go. But in all of that, it was mainly throws down the middle to Edelman, 
and throws to the to the outside to Gronkowski, which kept things going. He tried Dorsett, who did get the touchdown on in, in which the, the Kansas City Chiefs cornerback, I forget his name, completely screwed up. But um, Cordero Patterson, he was he tried to get the ball to both drop in the ball. But when push came to shove, when it was on third and long, he had three third and longs on that overtime game-winning drive. Each time he managed to get it. And you kind of knew it was going to happen. There had been a lot of talk about, yeah, it was three third and tens in a row. Two to Edelman, one to Rob Gronkowski. What was frustrating from watching this game from a Chiefs perspective was that early on in the game, I questioned Bob Sutton bringing a zone blitz on a on a third and long when you've got three really good pass rushers and they actually took, I think, Chris Jones off the field in order to bring that zone blitz and bring the safety up and it ended up giving up a really easy third down. When the Patriots were 7 nothing up and were driving to go 14 nothing up, we know that that drive ended with a brilliant Reggie Ragland interception. But what I initially got frustrated with it and then as I saw the game go on, I realised the Patriots just absolutely understood that the Chiefs' defence was entirely predicated on those three very, very good pass rushers. And that even though Eric Berry had a good comeback game and looked pretty close to Eric Berry in terms of fitness levels, if not full sharpness, that they're not very good on the back end of the defence. And so they rely on that pass rush. Do you remember Tom Brady getting flushed from the pocket once? I, I barely remember him getting hit apart from the dodgy rough in the passer call. Zero sacks. Zero sacks in this game when your entire strength is on that front three. The the offensive line played brilliantly. Trent Brown, you spotted one block in particular. Oh, which was unbelievable. Great. But it was also the fact that Rob Gronkowski, for as much as we want to laugh at how funny he looks like when he's Frankenstein limbering, like lumbering down the field. As uh, Glenn from Progress put it to me on Twitter, he said... Um, uh, his, it feels like his arm right now is, is being held together by, uh, by duct tape and hope. But the fact is, is that the, uh, Rob Gronkowski was brilliant in this game as a blocker. James White, you're going out on third down, and James White has been unbelievable on third down to start the game and basically won you a Super Bowl on third down on a previous occasion, and he's out there blocking. Sonia Michelle's picking up blitzes. Like, everyone is getting involved in that side of the game, and... Because you're using some of your best weapons to get in there and block. That's why Edelman was so important in this game. But you mentioned also the Dorset catch, the, the unbelievable one that he came down with the touchdown. Uh, we had that James White catch that he made out on the sideline when it, the one time I can remember Brady really being under pressure in the pocket collapsing and he just stepped up and James White had that over-the-shoulder, round-the-back catch thing going on. Honestly, the, the Patriots... They totally knew what this Chiefs defense could offer, and they went, fine, we know how to deal with that. We're going to move the ball. We'll take your six, seven-yard gains on passes. We'll take your three, four-yard gains on runs, and we'll just move the ball. We'll keep Pat Mahomes off the field, and we'll go out and we'll just grind this win. And they did it superbly. Yeah, uh, every single facet of their play just worked. Um, Tyreek Hill was shut down. Um the, the the linebackers Kyle Van Noy and I said it to you uh, that they kind of and and Sam Stevens from from Talksport put us a question about the Patriots and how good they are in um, in playoff football 
and the the regular season is just to get them to the playoff. Are they like the Real Madrid of of of, um, of the NFL? And it, it's kind of similar. But what they do in playoff compared to what they do in the regular season is they bring out not just not necessarily the tricks, but they bring out new looks and new things. So what we're seeing in re- the regular season isn't actually the 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 New England playoff uh, the New England playoffs New England Patriots that are going to win the Super Bowl or make a challenge or or do incredible things in the playoffs because in the playoffs they come out with things that none of us have seen before so bringing Joe Tooney from the left hand side of the line all the way round to help block for Sonny Michelle to go through or to use Kyle Van Noy as your your blitzing linebacker. He could have had three sacks. He had two. He could have had three, maybe even more than that, from what I remember. And just things like that, stuff that we haven't seen before, the Chiefs wouldn't have seen before. And that's why they're so, they're so successful. And that's why they have this playoff pedigree. It was It was glorious to watch from a purely... Like looking at it from the outside and saying, yes, that was incredible. What a great coaching and quarterbacking and everything performance. The thing that really lit this game up, though, was the fact that Pat Mahomes with his 295 yards, his three touchdowns, but the big plays, the unbelievable sidearms, the finding guys when he's under immense pressure, the rolling out and hitting guys on the move, the everything that they put together in this game that was just that he went out there and, and put them on his shoulders and this is considering that the other thing the Pats did while we're heaping praise on them was essentially took Tyreek Hill and uh, uh, and Travis Kelsey, the two best players on that offense other than Mahomes almost out of the game They, I, I don't, again 3 for 23 Travis Kelsey that's where I got that 23 from earlier Tyreek Hill that one big play for 42 yards but that was his only catch of the night on three targets they completely erased those top two weapons and yet Mahomes managed to put together something Sammy Watkins had a brilliant day best day as a chief like he managed to really put something together and it just made you go okay it's frustrating for Andy Reid and this idea that he's the choker which other than the only thing I saw him do that really frustrated me was throwing the challenge flag and wasting that challenge, which felt like a very emotional challenge flag to mm. throw because they hadn't got an earlier decision on that same drive that they should have got. Uh, I think it was the roughing the it was the roughing the passer one, wasn't it? The roughing the passer on Brady. He wasn't touched. Only the shoulder was touched. They got the 15 yards. That kept the drive going. And then later in that drive, Reed threw a very, very stupid challenge flag. On was- a Chris Hogan, um, a Chris Hogan catch, which I think the, I think it was Stephen Nelson, who's the guy that that, that stuffed up on the Dorset um, touchdown. Stephen Nelson was adamant that that uh, Hogan hadn't caught it. Reed emotionally, emotively threw the flag, and of course the, the call stood. Yeah, so other than that, I thought Andy Reid coached a pretty good game. I think Bob Sutton and put that defence they're putting together, it's not a surprise that you're hearing today that they're thinking about making defensive coaching changes uh, because they were outcoached by the New England Patriots on that side of the ball. Um, they're, they're, but Pat Mahomes just gave you that reason to be very positive about this team going forward. We'll talk a lot more about the Patriots as we get towards the Super Bowl, but just on the Chiefs going forward, they're currently projected to have about $32 million in cap space, although they may well extend the likes of 
uh, D Ford, of Chris Jones, of Tyreek Hill a year early to ensure they stay around. Uh, Kendall Fuller, who was the one player in their secondary who played well this season, who they got in on a bleeding trade at the start of the year, uh, will potentially be extended. But outside of that, there's a bunch of guys they can lose. Alan Bailey, Chris Conley, potentially Mitch Morse. There's an argument probably keep it for keeping all of them, but all of them could be let go. But there's a couple of big ones in the ageing players. Eric Berry only played three games this season because of a heel issue. He's set to have he's set to consume 16.5 million of salary cap next season, but that would go down to seven and a half million or just or close to seven million of dead space if they cut him after June 1st. So they free up nine and a half odd million for themselves there. And then Justin Houston. His salary is 21.1 million next season. It's more than 10% of the Chiefs' cap, cap space, but they could get out of the deal with just 7.1 million in dead money, again, freeing themselves up 14 million. I think they might make some pretty brutal decisions on the aging players on that defense in an attempt to keep more players around, like Kendall Fuller, like Alan Bailey, and then they just go defense mad in this draft. Is there a case with. Um, a lot of some of these aging players that if they cut them and then their contract or say Houston or Berry gets picked up by another team, then it the, they don't have to. F- You'll have always have the, you, the dead you, cap. You still have the dead cap space. Dead cap space is dead cap space no matter what. But if you manage to trade a player in the contract away, or if you, the, there is a way of not eating their full salary, even if you've got to eat the cap, it's it's again, it's stupidly complicated. We need to get Jason from OTC on or someone. But yeah, it, they they would still have that seven point one million there, and they'd still have the six and a half odd from Eric Berry as well. I think with Justin Houston, he had that one good game last week. Incredibly, he started twelve games this this season. Um, I thought it was far less than that, given his injury issues. But he hasn't had... I know he had nine sacks this year, this season, but he hasn't had the, the, the kind of impact that you'd expect for someone that's going to be costing that much against the the uh, the salary. Um, they, 15... need, they, they need corners, they need safeties, yeah. they need uh, probably a middle linebacker, they need probably a, a defensive tackle who can stop the run. They, there's probably six positions on that defense that could be upgraded and you do think like they could be three or four good upgrades away from turning this whole thing around yeah yeah i mean they're still a great team andy reed is great we love him patrick mahomes is going to be an absolute star i saw brady papinga um the the former green bay super bowl winning linebacker Uh, he tweeted out that he played with Brett Favre and Andrew Rogers, uh, Andrew Rogers, Aaron Rogers, and he is seeing things from, you know, he's caught a hundred, he's seen them throw a hundred thousand times in practice and in games. He's seeing things from Pat Mahomes that those two guys who had quite different skill sets, it, Pat Mahomes is doing things that both of those ca- can do and things that both of those have ne- have never done. So. The the ceiling is, I think, very very high for Pat Mahomes, and the, we're in an era where we get to see how far he can go, and it's so exciting. I think we've done a pretty stonking job with this show, Ollie. Well done, 
Willie, well done. There's lots still to be said because it was such an insane and brilliant day of football on Sunday. But we really appreciate you being with us. Loads of lovely messages coming on TalkSport. Lots of people getting involved in the debate on Twitter as well. After uh, uh, John Jackson gave me a, a little nudge to look at the trends in the UK. And I ended up tweeting out that thing. The top tr- the top 10 trends at about 1.30 in the morning were all the NFL. Which I don't care mm. what you say about the time of night. That is still incredible. Super Bowl coming. We'll do our first show from out of the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll do one like on the Sunday night, Monday morning before opening night. Just a little... Uh, opening a, night. A cheeky little teaser one. We'll definitely be... Well, we're going to be live from opening night on Talk Sports. So, so many exciting things coming over the coming weeks. So keep it locked with us. At Will Gavin, at Ollie Hunter, at Gridiron on Twitter. Ollie, do you have any final thoughts? How's your toe, buddy? It hurts. It hurts a lot. We didn't talk about why, did we? Okay. So when the Chiefs got the fourth down stop at 14-7, the one where everyone was like, why isn't Brady sneaking it? That one. Uh, the Me and Ollie, or Ollie and I, were both on our feet in the studio. Now, this is not anti-Pats bias. This is pro-good game bias. It felt like if the Pats scored on that drive, having already managed to survive the turnover in the end zone, that that would probably be... An incredibly difficult hole for the Chiefs to come back from being two touchdowns down in that situation. They got the stop and in a punching the air style celebration, except with my foot, I decided to kick out in excitement. Except when I kicked out in excitement, instead of kicking at the air, I managed to catch the metal edge of a wheelie office chair and boot it absolutely full force with the length of my right toe bone and metatarsal. In a t- and you're wearing trainers made out of paper. Yeah, essentially. I'm wearing proper, like, ridiculous, like, running trainers with a, with a felt top. They were not going to protect me in any way, shape or form. I, I yelled so loudly that the production staff through a soundproof door and three panes of soundproof glass heard me yell. And that when we came back on air off the back of the stoppage and, uh, and then the timeout that came afterwards, I had to get Ollie to do the first couple of minutes because I was composing myself from the shock of the pain. Thank you to all the people who were listening and tweeted afterwards and sent some form of sympathy, sarcastic or not. Uh, I did end up going to the hospital today because I decided I went to bed and I was like, ah, it'll be fine. I put some ice on it. It won't be a problem. It was still hurting like six hours after doing it. But yeah, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Woke up in more pain than I'd been in before and with the foot far more swollen than it had been when I'd gone to bed. And despite the fact I'd kept it elevated, I hadn't rotated on it, I hadn't done anything to make it any worse. And I thought, we're flying on Sunday. Bugger. I better just get this checked. Yeah. And, it's, and it turns out it's not broken. Thank everything. Um, it is a badly bruised bone with ligament and muscle damage. Well, a ligament sprain and muscle damage or something like that. And she was like, it will be really painful for like three days, but it'll go away a lot quicker than a broken toe. So hopefully by the time we fly out on Sunday, it'll be all swelling down. No problem. But I have been walking around uh, like I'm walking <laughs> on one leg for the last two days. Peg leg Gavin. <laughs> um, uh, did you see a picture of your, your x-ray? Uh, I didn't know. No. Why don't I, they? Why don't they let you have it? I always like seeing that kind of stuff. 
Because you're a weirdo. That's not weird. It's just seeing what your bones look like. How's that weird? Yeah. I don't think it's something you should care that much about. Not going to lie. Yeah, okay. When I fractured my skull, (laughs) I got a picture of my head with the fracture in my skull. I mean, that's pretty cool. If it's your head, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, what okay. my foot looks like on the inside. Right, Ollie, any other final thoughts other than mocking me for causing myself a mischief? Uh, just a sec. One more. <laughs> was it? Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I, I think you're making a head scone tomorrow. Oh, brilliant. Of course I am. I'm amazed I didn't make it today. Ollie, lots of love, buddy. Yeah, Have a wonderful you, bud. rest of your week. And the next time I may, I might not now see you till the next time. Although I'm in Thursday, Friday, so maybe we'll see you then. But the next time we'll see you properly, be at Heathrow Airport on yes. our way to Hotlanta, baby. Come on! It's currently minus two, but Hotlanta, baby. I'm still calling it Hotlanta, baby. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show. We Danes are a modest bunch. We enjoy simple pleasures. As such, we tend not to blow our own trumpets. But since Carlsberg Export has a refined, full-bodied and rather satisfying taste, perhaps just this once. Too much? Probably. Carlsberg Export, probably the most modest beer in the world. Enjoy responsibly. Drink aware.co.uk for the facts.